When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Inconsistency. Nothing personal. Word of the day. It's Wednesday, January 25th, 2023. Inconsistency, as in my view of MLB's Department of Investigations and their handling of different cases with different players for any violations of the joint domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse policy. The background of that division is the commissioner's office realized that it needed more than one person to handle all of the things that were happening. And when they started this policy and when they negotiated with the the union, they came up with this, and it's a mouthful, the joint domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse policy. And they realized that it can't just be one person. They don't want to hire outside counsel. There's all sorts of other investigations going on, going back to A-Rod and Balco when they were down in Florida and they were trying to hide evidence and buy witnesses and all the things they were doing. It's a very, very well-staffed department full of very, very smart people, but they are acting at the behalf, behest of the commissioner. And what their job is to do is to get witnesses with no subpoena power, to get information, to get documents with no subpoena power, to interview witnesses with no subpoena power, to try to get information to the commissioner so that the commissioner and his lieutenants, Dan Hallam, et cetera, can figure out what punishments that they should be handing out and then what the likelihood of those punishments actually standing through a grievance and through an arbitration. We just came out of a two-year saga of Trevor Bauer and being put on administrative leave after he had been accused of the rough sex and violating the sexual assault part of the policy. And we saw a two-year suspension then reduced to 194 games, and he's back and ready to play Major League Baseball just without a team. But they're investigating different players at all times. It is very busy in the DOI every day. And one of the most important parts of the DOI is they do not talk to the teams. This was always a source of great frustration for me because I would want to know several things about a player if I'm in the market for either a trade or a free agent signing. One of which is, hey, who else is bidding for him and how much money are they offering the player? And that begins to smell of collusion. So therefore you get hints Maybe they'll talk to you and say, hey, that seems a little high. 
and you have to read between the lines and sort of decide for yourself where you want to go with the player when you're signing a player, even in arbitration. But the other example is steroids, where you have no idea who's tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs. You know your players who get P-tests after every game in offseason because we get a list of the players who are being randomly drug tested, but we do not get any sort of result until the process has been completed. I am all for conspiracy theories, and I'm all for telling you the exact truth as to the communication between Major League Baseball Commissioner's Office and the teams, but I can promise you that no teams are aware of any players who have tested positive for PEDs until they have been suspended or the announcement is coming within that day or within a couple of hours. That's how it works. So when you're out in the free agent market and if you believe that you are going to sign a player who you think has a PED issue, you can call up baseball and you're going to get crickets. I've tried it. You get the crickets. When it comes to the domestic violence policy, it's crickets as well. And it is very important, not because, not only because it's in the collective bargaining agreement, but also that is the rights of the accused. In addition to being innocent until proven guilty, there's an investigation that's going to go on. And there is no reason to quash the free agent market of a player who is under investigation. Think about the situation with Mike Clevenger. This just dropped yesterday. He signed a one-year, $12 million deal with the White Sox. This is the guy who was traded to the Padres from the Guardians, who was going to be the ultimate pitcher. He was going to put them over the edge. Everyone was trying to get him. Then all of a sudden, he got hurt. He was out. I think he had Tommy John. Then he came back. He pitched a little bit. Not great. Really a bottom-of-the-rotation guy, a depth guy now, which is shocking. Goes in the free agent market. The White Sox sign him to add him to their rotation that has Dylan Cease and Michael Kopech and Lance Lynn and Lucas Giolito, and they gave him a one-year, $12 million contract. And that may sound to you that that is a contract given to somebody who's under investigation or that's a contract given to someone who has a problem, but no, that's not the case. That is the exact contract that people would have projected or I would have projected that Clevenger would have gotten. It's what you pay now for a bottom-of-the-rotation guy, a depth guy. But then word comes out yesterday, how? Because there's a woman who is the mother of one of his children who posted something on Instagram, side note, one of the reasons the DOI has so many more employees, you didn't used to have to monitor social media. It's like a full-time job. There's people in the commissioner's office who are doing nothing but looking at social media, following posts, looking to see what's going on, because sometimes that's where the information comes from, as crazy as that sounds. So there was a woman on Instagram who posted a story, and basically she was calling out Mike Clevenger for being an abuser of his child and his baby mamas. And she did it in a way that was, I don't know, quite damning. And she said, talking to him, you deserve hell. I've kept quiet for a year and you continue to covertly abuse your infant, withhold all of her belongings. We have none of our stuff, not even her birth certificate or a car seat attachment. Don't know why you can't get another one of those, which you can. He's made sure to do everything he can to keep control. And then she talks about his drug use. And then there's other women talking and he was chewing tobacco and throwing tobacco on the child or grabbing her while she was pregnant. 
all sorts of things that were really quite disturbing to read. Yet, after this post, we do not get an immediate administrative leave the way they did with Trevor Bauer. We get nothing other than the fact there's an investigation ongoing which forces the Chicago White Sox to make a statement because all of a sudden they're heading into spring training. Every team is doing their fan fest. They're doing major selling. After the new year, January, February, and especially March is when you're trying to sell as many new season tickets as possible. You do your renewals in August, September, October, November, December. You do special deals. Hey, it's Christmas time. Renew your season tickets before Christmas, yada, yada, yada. But there's a lot of sales going on right now when your team is put together. So the White Sox are out there selling. They're out there having players make appearances. And now they have to decide what they're going to do with Mike Clevenger. And the best they could come up with was a statement. And the statement said, basically, <laughs> this is pretty good. The White Sox will refrain from comments until MLB's investigative process has reached its conclusion when we have a template of statements that we make, when we have a player who has been arrested, a player who has been accused of a crime, the player who is even PEDs, the PED one is, oh, we're disappointed and we support the drug the drug uh, rules when it's domestic violence or sexual assault. You come out and say immediately that we can't say anything. We have to refrain from comment. But it was very important for them to mention something else, which was on the tip of everybody's tongue. Did you know about this when you signed Mike Clevenger? So if I'm in the PR department or the president of the White Sox, I am telling Jerry Reinsdorf very immediately as part of our statement, we have to make it clear. We had no idea. I'm going to call the commissioner and I'm going to say, we're about to release a statement because you never told us this. I wish you had, we wouldn't have signed him. You knew about this last summer. And yet he kept pitching for the Padres, your choice not to put him on administrative leave. That's up to you, Rob. But then he went into the free agent market. You didn't tell us. And Rob would say, I'm not allowed to tell you. He had to go through the free agent process. He had to have an opportunity to get a job. It's right there in the CBA. Jerry, there's nothing I could do. And by the way, you voted against me until the very end. So I'm not going to tell you anything anyway. Nah, he doesn't hold a grudge like that for this many years. Or does he? So as part of the White Sox, Statement they had to say the White Sox were not aware of the allegations or the investigation at the time of his signing. And then they go into the boilerplate. So we're going to refrain from further comment. Well, where's the comment of we are putting him on the temporarily restricted list? We are not going to let him put on a White Sox uniform because these are not the values that we stand for. We are going to allow MLB to do their investigation. We will continue to pay Mike Clevenger his free agent deal, but we are not letting him tow the rubber and wear our uniform. Why not say that? What's the downside for the Chicago White Sox? Because they don't have enough starting pitching depth or they don't want to be embarrassed? You don't think that baseball was aware that this moment was going to happen like a ticking time bomb, that there was going to be a time when someone was going to go public, something was going to leak, or MLB was going to have to complete its investigation and make some sort of announcement if there's going to be a suspension? And how is there not going to be a suspension, even if it's of five games or 20 games? What, because there's no camera, there's no video? That's an impact, no doubt. But there's plenty of other ways that the DOI, Department of Investigations, does its investigations. MLB did a statement, which is not even worth talking about, 
because I want to focus on what Clevenger does now because he's got to go out and make a statement. What do you think he's going to say? Mike emphatically denies the accusations made. I'm going to try one final time here. Of course, it won't be one final time. But you know, as the Nothing Personal audience, as you're watching this, maybe some of you live, you don't put in a statement that you emphatically deny something. Why? Why do you need to emphatically deny it? I'm not slightly denying it. I'm not telling you that it may or may not have happened or that something happened or we had an argument. I am emphatically denying it like a capital D for deny. It's like Hugh Jackman and the music man. T is for trouble. You don't need to say it, but they emphatically deny it. That's good. I'm glad that you emphatically deny it. And then they get into, we're not going to comment on the motive for bringing these false allegations. Her baseless threats and accusations over the last few months have regrettably escalated. Victim shaming, culminating most recently in deeply disturbing tweets toward Mike and Mike's family. Her threats and her pattern of abusive behavior are well-documented. The simple truth is that Mike has done nothing wrong. He's a loving and caring father, so we advised him not to comment. We have a problem with the domestic violence policy and domestic violence in general. And the problem with the latter is that everyone's doing it. The problem with the former is that it's not enough or a deterrent to make people stop doing it. I can't give you the reason I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I can't give you the reason why people engage in domestic violence. I can't give you the reason why you'd be in a fight and it would cause you to choke or to attack your pregnant girlfriend or to throw tobacco on your child or to do any of it. I've told you before, I'll tell you again, that you cannot put your hand on a woman. A woman should not and cannot put her hand on a man. Keep your hands to your damn self. You'll learn it in kindergarten. Athletes have egos, but there are plenty of people in other industries who have egos. Domestic violence is not singular to athletes. It's everywhere and it's not getting better. Doesn't that give an indication to governing bodies that what we're doing to deter this conduct and behavior is not working? Therefore, don't you have to change what the punishments are, what the penalties are? Don't you think MLB should get its Department of Investigations going just a little bit faster? But the downside of going fast, they'll tell you, is that mistakes can be made. When people are debating the criminal justice system and they talk about the speedy trial provisions, which are your constitutional right, where they talk about the amount of time that grand juries are involved in hearing evidence and everybody waiting to see whether or not indictments are going to be brought. Everyone wants to be careful. We got to be very clear that we're going to win. Prosecutors are worried about their conviction rate. Everybody's worried about their own position in this chain and the chain is broken. How many more athletes, and let's just stick to sports if you want me to shut up and dribble, how many more athletes is it going to take before the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball say to themselves, no more? There may be some innocent people. That's the argument. What if they're innocent? I like that argument. It's an argument against the death penalty. People say, what if people are wrongly convicted? What if he killed the wrong person with capital punishment? What if we suspend a guy or put a guy in administrative leave and didn't do anything? How do we get his reputation back? The accusation is always way greater and gets way more attention than the apology. Everybody's so quick to get a story. We're going to be first, which is why we're going to take our time before we release anything. All of these are legitimate points, 
but at some juncture in an argument, you take a side and you understand the consequences of taking a side. You all do it in everything you do every day. I do it every day. I take a side in things I do every day. I'm not always right. When you are a leader, you don't need to be right all the time. That's not what your followers expect from you, but you clearly need to make decisions all the time. And by MLB hemming and hawing, they put the White Sox in a terrible position. The White Sox could deal with this position by putting him on administrative leave, no question about it. Keep paying Clevenger and see what happens. How does this end? This ends with MLB continuing its investigation over the course of days, weeks, and months. And it will end with the suspension of Mike Clevenger. And it will end with Jerry Reinsdorf having to decide the status and health of his rotation and whether or not he's going to release him. The differentiating point here between Clevenger and Bauer is that what came out about Bauer had attracted so much attention because of Bauer, because of the way not only was he fighting it publicly, denying it publicly, going to court to try to get temporary restraining orders overturned. Everything about his strategy was public. Everything about Clevenger's strategy is silence. And when you've got the silent strategy, it allows you to keep kicking the can and keep kicking the can. The Dodgers couldn't kick the can with Bauer, which is why he was put on leave. And may I remind you, he was only put on leave by MLB after the Dodgers said, hey, we're going to let him start. We're going to wait to hear from MLB. Teams are so easy. It's the job of the commissioner, really, to be the punching bag for the owners and for the teams. That's why he gets paid so much. It's the job to be the sort of protector for the owners and for team presidents. It's their job to make sure that players' rights are being tested and that the collective bargain agreement is being adhered to. I understand everything about what the commissioner's office is trying to accomplish. But in a situation like domestic violence or child abuse or sexual assault in 2023, I think it's time for a change of approach. And speaking of change of approach, there are people crying out today, as they do every year, the day after the Hall of Fame and Major League Baseball announces its inductees for a class. Last night, Scott Rowland was inducted into the Hall of Fame by the thinnest of margins, by five votes. The rules are you have to get 75% or 292 votes and he got 297 votes. You can see it on the screen if you're watching live. That is the final ballot. I wanna congratulate Scott Roll and tell you how much I hated playing against him, but I wanna draw your attention to a few names on the list. Todd Helton came 11 votes shy of being inducted, and he is going to get into the Hall of Fame next year. It's such a fait accompli, it's not even nice to make it a wait to see, because it's just a give me. But it caught a lot of attention because He's a Colorado Rocky. Ryan Spilsberg was a player for the Rockies, and he came out yesterday angry, saying that Todd Helton is the best player to be, wear a Rockies uniform. Apologies to Larry Walker. And he just didn't understand why players are not earning respect because of the Coors effect. So a little quick side note about the Coors effect. I don't care about the humidors. I don't care about live balls, dead balls. When you play at altitude, the ball carries no matter what ball you're using. And you can look at offensive splits, home splits, road splits. You can look at players and say, this player is not going to be good out of Colorado. This pitcher doesn't get enough spin on his breaking ball because of the Colorado altitude, but bring him back to sea level and he'll get the spin back. It's hard on their wind. All of those things happen to be very true. 
And none of those things are the reason Todd Helton was not brought into the Hall of Fame. The real question you should be asking is, if Todd Helton's a Hall of Famer, isn't he a Hall of Famer in his first year, second year, fourth year, fifth year? Why do you wait? Why is it that we see players and we follow them year after year like Scott Rowland, jumping percentages, getting toward that 75 level, and then jumping over it by only five votes and getting inducted? And the reason is that there's a rule that MLB loves, which is that only 10 players can be on a ballot, on a writer's ballot. That's it. And so if the ballot is full of players, so as an example, you saw that ballot before, but someone like a Gary Sheffield, a Todd Helton, a Billy Wagner, those players are still going to be on the ballot next year. And so they're going to take up slots for all the people who voted for them. They're going to vote for them again, which doesn't leave a whole lot of room for new players who are eligible to be on the ballot because they've been out of baseball for five years. And so when the ballot comes out next year with Adrian Beltre and Joe Maurer is in there, David Wright for all you Met fans, Chase Utley, Matt, Adrian Gonzalez, bat flipper, Jose Batista, my guy, Jose Reyes. There's a whole bunch of people going on the ballot and you only get 10 spots. So writers know this. But then MLB came up with this safety net. And the safety net is what I wanted to mention to you that bothers me, maybe because I like doing live shows and I like when the red light goes on and I have no safety net. And if I say swear words or I say something wrong and I need to make a correction, that's what being live is. But the safety net in the Hall of Fame is that if you don't get voted in 10 years the way Jeff Kent didn't and fell off the ballot, unbelievable second baseman, home runs, RBIs, slugging percentage, his second base defense was good. Everything about him, he's a Hall of Fame second baseman, but he's a Hall of Fame bad guy. And the writer's not a steroid guy, just a Hall of Fame bad, grumpy, grizzly survivor guy. He wasn't going to get in by the writers. And you can say that that is wrong. And you can disagree that writers shouldn't have the vote. It should be done another way. What are you going to do? Fan vote? Never going to happen. Owners vote? No. This is really the most independent way to do it. The people who have watched baseball for decades. But Jeff Kent was not a Hall of Famer in their mind, but now there's these committees. And so what they're saying is Jeff Kent will be in the Hall of Fame in 2026, the way Fred McGriff is in the Hall of Fame in 2023, which is he never got the 75% in 10 years. But the minute he was eligible, there were nine guys who voted unanimously to put him in. Not like an FU to writers, but it really is an FU to the writers. Like, you're so wrong not to have Jeff Kent in that we'll show you and we'll put him in the Hall of Fame. It's like taking away the power of the entire voting process to right wrongs. Is there such thing as a wrong when it comes to a process that everyone agrees is the process? You don't change the process and then you don't like the results, so you change the process? When you run a business and you are not profitable, you change your process because you want a path to profitability. In business, I absolutely understand that and it's the right move. You don't keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect different results, right? Sort of insane. But when it comes to something like a voting process, let's talk about the presidential election process. There are people who say when they're on the wrong side of it, let's go with popular vote, not the electoral vote. The electoral college was something when all states were more equal and it was hard to campaign, it was hard to get information. And so we wanted to make sure that we had representation. Now, 
given the way campaigns are, the electoral college is antiquated. Why not just go the popular vote? Well, popular vote really is a beneficial thing to Democrats and dem- and beneficial to big cities. So you wouldn't have candidates ever going somewhere where only 20 people live. There are arguments everywhere about this. But at the end of the day, the system used for the Hall of Fame is the right system, the best system. And it's the system that got Scott rolling in. The other name that was of interest on that was Carlos Beltran. And the writers showed us yesterday that they don't like needles in your ass, but they're okay with banging garbage cans. They made it very clear that if you do steroids, you are not going to be in the Hall of Fame. Alex Rodriguez went from 34 to 35% in his second year. He will not make it to 75 in 10 years. And then the Veterans Committee can decide what they're going to do. But you saw what they did with Bonds and Clemens. They did not let him in. So A-Rod with steroids, not happening. Even with the great reclamation project, the great rehabilitation that his image has had. But Beltran, who in theory is going to be a Hall of Famer, he started with 46.5%, already higher than where A-Rod was. That is the beginning of his trek to the Hall of Fame. The writers said because of his involvement in the 2017 garbage can banging scheme with the Astros, that they're not going to let him be a first ballot Hall of Famer, but they're going to show him when he wakes up this morning or sees the announcement last night that he's on the road to redemption, a road that will end up in Cooperstown. So you look where he is. I got to do one more, Coke. I know we got to go to break, but one more. Gary Sheffield, my Marlin guy, the guy who I spent so much time with, the guy who wanted to be paid for us to do a bobblehead for him. So I said, really? Forget it. No bobblehead. Wanted to be paid for appearances. Gary, why would you do that? People loved you in Miami. They wanted you to come back. And anyway, he ended up coming back for the end, for the close of pro player, but difficult guy. Gary Sheffield was a difficult guy, but what a talent. He's got a chance now at 55%. He's got a chance to get in. Not going to happen. Wait to see. All right, we come back. We're going to review the movie that I told you we'd review, the one with the Academy Award nomination for Best Actress for Andrea Riseborough. And we're going to talk about the Marlins and whether or not they could be for sale. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P.com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. 
Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Thank you for joining us here live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 8 a.m. on YouTube at NPDS or Nothing Personal with David Sampson. Thank you for still listening in the droves that you are, telling your friends about us, because we're going to keep going. Why not? It is my favorite time of year to watch a movie a day. It keeps the doctor away. Can you tell? No bags under my eyes. I get bags when I don't sleep. Coco will look at me and say, God, you look so haggard. I don't feel I look haggard today. I'm not even that tired today. I watched two Leslie. I told you yesterday that uh, Andrea Riseborough had an internet tsunami leading to her nomination for Best Actress and that she took a spot away from some other people who could have been there like a, uh, who who did not get a Coca? Uh, Viola Davis did not get nominated for Best Actress. And so it's likely that Andrea Riseborough took that position. Two Leslie is about a woman, true story, who won the lottery. Now, she won about $192,000. It's nothing to sneeze at. Hachoo, hachoo. But it's not like $4 billion. Although everybody wins the lottery. 85.9% of the people who win the lottery end up losing all their money. But it's a good photo op. And it's the story of her. And it stars Allison Janney, who plays her sort of mother figure. And uh, she's from West Wing and many other things. The performance is so amazing because she's an alcoholic, a major alcoholic, and not the actress. I'm talking about the real-life lottery winner. And it basically causes her to lose her child. It causes her to lose her money. And she couldn't find a lifeline. And then she did. And the lifeline came in the form of a chance. And it got me thinking as I'm watching her performance, which was just simply phenomenal. It may be the best female performance. I think Kate Blanchett is going to win the Oscar. There is talk about Michelle Yao. She could win it too. But Andrea Riseborough's job and her performance here was the best of the year that I've seen. Because she gave you the warts and all alcoholic story, sort of like Nicolas Cage in Leaving Las Vegas, just what happens when your life falls apart, when it goes from a great to crappy. And this is a age old story of people who have it all and lose it. People who are rich and then poor, people who are smart and then dumb, people who are living and then dead. The power of alcohol, the power of opioids, the power of addiction. The problem with the addiction that we have in our society is that we have ways to help people. We have treatment centers that are too expensive and not as available as they should be. But on top of that, we try to say you have a sponsor, you've got someone on your side, you need family, but guess what? At the end of the day, we do not give enough support to addicts and all they need sometimes is one person to stand up, one person to take their hand and say, I'm gonna guide you through this. And it doesn't always work. 
But when it does, you get a reclamation story that to Leslie is. I encourage you to watch it. It's an important movie. So yesterday we did a story about the Los Angeles Angels. One of you contacted me. You can get to me at David P. Sampson on Twitter, on Instagram. We do TikToks. We do all sorts of things. One of you got to me in a DM, or maybe it was a text. Maybe it was a friend of mine. <laughs> I can't remember. One of you got to me and asked me a question, so I want to quickly answer that. Why I keep referring to the Angels as the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. And I've told you, so I'm going to say it one final time. It's the California Angels who became the Anaheim Angels. Then they became the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. And now people refer to them as the Los Angeles Angels. News alert, they play in Anaheim. That would be like the Florida Panthers being called the Miami Panthers. They play in Broward. It would be like the Tampa Bay Rays saying, you know what? How about if we call ourselves the Orlando Rays? Nope, wrong city. All of a sudden, they're a big market team because of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Anyway, Tony Romo decides not to. Tony Romo, 4-8-69. Anyway, Artie Moreno decides he's not going to sell the team. And then there was an article that came out that there are a couple of teams that could be for sale including the Orioles. Yes, as soon as they get their family lawsuit taken care of, they're going to be for sale. The Nationals are for sale. They're just not getting the price they want. So the learners are pretending that they're not for sale, but they are. The Angels, by the way, are still for sale. And then there was a mention of, that's not a throwaway line. The Angels are still for sale. They can close down the data room. They can make a statement that he's here for you, the fans, and he's going to do everything I talked about yesterday. Someone comes at him with the price. Of course, they had, oh, Coca. Someone came out yesterday from the Moreno camp and said, just to be clear, all bids were well above what Artie Moreno was expecting. He was ready, and then he got cold feet. Horse hockey didn't get cold feet. He wanted more money. In any case, there was a rumor that the Marlins were for sale. Hello? Have you been watching Nothing Personal? The Marlins have been for sale almost since the day they got bought. If Bruce Sherman could get $1.2 billion plus all the losses that they've had since he took over because Derek Jeter sold Bruce Sherman a bill of goods saying, hey, I'm not Samson. I'm going to make sure that we're profitable. We're going to increase our payroll. We're going to make money. We're going to draw fans. We're going to win. We're going to get rid of all the crap players they had. See you later, Stanton. See you later, Yelich. See you later, JT Relamuto. Bye-bye. We're going to bring in all these great prospects. We'll have the best farm system. Bing, bang, boom. We're going to win. We're going to make money. Meanwhile... Like many other baseball teams, the Marlins are losing money every year. And Bruce Sherman, the owner of the Marlins, is not the only owner of the Marlins. How do I know this? Because I know all the owners of the Marlins because they bought the team from my owner and I did the deal. Those owners have been answering capital calls and funding losses regardless of the money you get from the sale of ML. BML BAM to Disney for another 30 million per team, regardless of the increased broadcast deal the Marlins have going from 20 to 80. Forget all that. The Marlins are still losing money, which means they're still being funded every year because they cannot take on any more debt. The reason why the Marlins have not been sold is no one is going to give him his money back. And until you get your money back, he's not going to be the first owner ever to sell a team at a loss. But when you see that there's a rumor about your team being sold, you've got to respond and you've got to respond quickly. And boy, did Bruce Sherman respond quickly. 
he got together with his PR people and came out with the following statement. The Miami Marlins are not for sale, have not been for sale under my ownership, and will not be for sale in my lifetime. It is irresponsible to report otherwise. Is it really irresponsible to report otherwise when you know for sure that people have been contacted and asked whether or not they would buy the Marlins at a certain price? Why do you have to say in a statement? There's no reason to say that it's not going to be sold in your lifetime. How do you know what's going to happen in your lifetime? If someone came to you for $4 billion, you're not selling the Marlins? Of course you are. Your partners would make you sell it. Now, you could buy it from your partners. The whole thing about keeping a team and wanting to get your family involved or kids, it's what owners say. It's really a bunch of buffalo biffs. It's all about what the price is. So if I'm giving advice to Bruce Sherman, when Bruce Sherman would ask, which he never would, hey, what, what should I say right now? Just say nothing. People are not not buying tickets to your home opener because they think the team is for sale or not for sale. Now, they'd like it to be for sale because they'd like you to raise your payroll, even though their payroll is irresponsibly high given their revenue. No one cares. And then he kept going. It is and will continue to be a privilege to own this great organization. I look forward to seeing our loyal fans at opening day on March 30th. I love it. Switch, bridge to the message. We couldn't ever sell out opening days. You're not selling out opening days. Your team has no chance in the NL East. How about putting out there, listen, like we say about players, nobody is off limits. Some players are less likely to be traded than others, but everybody's available. Why not say that about your team? Right now, the team is not for sale. But if an offer comes that seems irresponsibly high and one that I can't refuse, of course I'd consider selling because I represent my limited partners and I have a fiduciary duty to run a responsible organization and to cash out when it's time to cash out. That level of honesty is perfectly fine. Your fan base is not going to be upset with you. All of these teams that are for sale, it's not because they've let the fan base down. It's not because they've won enough or not won enough or they're frustrated because they haven't won enough. It's because they've decided from a business standpoint, it's time to move on. So when you come out and you so vociferously deny something that's written in a paper and call it irresponsible, all you can be is wrong because people keep the quotes because of the intergoogle. So everything you say lives forever. Trust me, I know these things. And when what you say lives forever, just be careful with your words. Nothing personal pick of the day. We are back to 500, baby, 13 and 13. We had the Nuggets minus one over the Pelicans and we pushed. The Nuggets should have covered, but they only won by one. And then we went hockey. Remember last night I told you Rick Tockett First game as a Canucks coach, I said, Canucks will lay the goal, get the positive money. We laid the goal and a half, and they won by three goals. Were you panicked after the first period? I wasn't because I wasn't watching. Congratulations to Rick Tockett. We're 13 and 13 because the Canucks won five to two. All right, we got a good game tonight. Where are you with the Brooklyn Nets these days? 
Can I, when we're doing a live show, I have not had to take a sip of water. I'm going to mute to take a quick sip of water. Hold on one second. I mute because you don't like hearing me swallow the water. I don't know why. It must have a sensitive microphone. Anyway, Sixers minus six over the Nets. I'm trusting the blitzer process. Sixers are a better team. Durant's not coming back. Do you know what they're doing in the NBA that came out yesterday? Kevin Durant, there's still a possibility he could be a captain of one of the All-Star teams. He came out and said he wants to play in the All-Star game. I would not let him play in the All-Star game until he proves health. And to prove health, I want him playing for my team. Always a big deal when you run a team. You do not want your players getting hurt playing exhibition games. But the NBA decided they were going to change the All-Star what, what is it called, Coca? The all-star theory, the all-star proposal, the all-star game. And they're going to name two captains. Let's say LeBron James and Giannis will be the two captains. And instead of doing the Eastern Conference versus the Western Conference, they then switch that to doing a draft where TNT during halftime would have this draft and they do the studio show with Barkley and Smith and EJ and Shaq. And then they draft and remember the joke when LeBron drafted AD, how can I not draft my guy? Cause AD, he wanted on the Lakers. Then he got AD to the Lakers. So you draft teams. That was fun. Well, the new change is the teams are going to be chosen live at the game pregame. So a player will go into the all-star game, not knowing what team he's going to be on. So forget coaches working on minutes and rotations. They're going to have to assign player A, player B, player C, player D. That's what all-star coaches do. That's what MLB all-star coaches do. That's what NBA all-star coaches do. They have a rotation. They know exactly how many minutes every player is going to play or how many at-bats a player is going to get or how many innings or how many pitches a pitcher is going to pitch. It is all done in advance. So now you won't be able to do game plans. You won't be able to have any practices because nobody will know the teams. Why is NBA doing this? The same reason the NFL has changed its pro ball. I don't know if you know, but we're a week away from the NFL skills competition. Hip, hip, hooray. We're a week away from an NFL flag football game. yippee ki And the reason why the NFL did it is you all decided that watching a Pro Bowl where everyone was playing Olay defense didn't seem all that fun. And players weren't all that excited. In the old days, players didn't make a whole lot of money. And with a free trip to Hawaii to be an All-Pro and play in the All-Star game in the NFL Pro Bowl, the players wanted to go to Hawaii. Now they don't. Therefore, you have to change it. And they don't want to get hurt because they don't have guaranteed contracts. So now they made it a skills competition. All-star games across all sports have become an absolute disaster, even baseball, which is the most highly watched all-star game in the middle of the summer because players don't like playing on it. And they're looking for excuses because they want a weekend with their families or a weekend solo. They don't want to schlep and do more media why? Because they're tired and they're making so much money in their contracts. It's not necessary for exposure anymore. I used to crave having Marlins on the all-star team because A, we would do giveaways and B, it was great exposure. Now exposure comes through social media. So all of the reasons why all-star games and Pro Bowls were important was for league exposure, for broadcast revenue. It's an extra game. It's an extra jewel event. And that has all summarily disappeared. So now you've got all these leagues sitting together, putting all their heads together, forming a rock pile and trying to figure out how to maximize revenue, how to take care of league sponsors who go to these all-star games and pro bowls because they want post COVID and pre COVID. They want the 
ability to travel and to rub elbows with the athletes, even though it's not their money, they represent these companies who are spending money and they get the boondoggles. They want the boondoggles. One of the great ways, side note, Coca, one of the great ways to get um, teams, corporate sponsors, is you strike a relationship with the people in charge of the marketing budgets and you offer them all sorts of cool stuff. Some of them say, oh, that's, you know, I can't take that. You really, you don't want to sign Stanton jersey? You sure? It'd be pretty cool. Hey, isn't your son's favorite player, Jose Reyes? No problem. Does he want to come meet Jose Reyes? We'll give you four batting practice passes. Going to see Jose Reyes. Hey, we got a kid here. Come, come meet him. Two seconds. It'll be quick. He'll love it. Excuse me. Although I'm muted, I didn't say excuse me, but if you're watching this, I certainly had to. So we're always doing things, trying to make it easier for companies to spend their money with us because it's a nameless, faceless company. It's the people with names and faces are those in the marketing departments who have the budgets. The only people whose ass I ever had a kiss over those decades were the people who had the marketing budgets, were the people who had the TV budgets, the rights fees, and the people who had the sponsorship budgets because they're in charge of so much money and it's not theirs. So of course it's gonna be about personal relationships. So the NBA, MLB, NFL, everyone's changing. How will the All-Star Games end up? If you all stop watching the Pro Bowl and the ratings continue to plummet for the Major League Baseball All-Star Game, we're gonna find a way to change the bonus structure because right now players make bonuses for making the All-Star Game. And it's gonna change to some sort of in-season tournament where players can make even more money add extra games, take away from the regular season, add some sort of tournament. You've heard the NBA talk about it. You've heard Major League Baseball, who suggested to us years ago, let's move the World Baseball Classic to during the All-Star break. That's brilliant. We can cancel the All-Star game every four years and do a World Baseball Classic. Perfect. Owners would hold up their hands and say, well, not so perfect. We really don't want our guys going to another team and leaving our team and then getting injured. They're going to be tired. It's important for pitchers to rest during the all-star break. So there was a lot of pushback for the mid-season winter baseball, uh, uh, world baseball classic. But I have news for you. Uh, that is still a thing that MLB and the commissioner is pushing for. So how it will work? Wait to see. But the answer is that all these leagues are continually tweaking their all-star formats because of you and you not watching it. Okay, did I not say Sixers minus six over the Nets? I think I did give that pick. All right, I got to make a correction as well. I I make mistakes. We are we're live, and even on Tuesdays, Thursdays when I'm not doing it live, and you can't watch it when I'm doing it live, it's still what I call live to tape, which is Coca takes the 45 minutes and just gives it to you, and mistakes are made. When we were talking about Vancouver last night or yesterday's show, I said Brian Boudreaux was the coach who got fired, and someone pointed out to me correctly that it was Bruce Boudreaux, not Brian. So I appreciate those corrections. And when you're giving them to me, the only thing I ask, it's very simple, just spell my name right. Because this person said, who's Brian Boudreaux? Come on, Samson. S-A-M-P-S-O-N. What are you doing? It's Samson. You made a mistake, but I'm so willing and honest about my corrections and I want to make them that of course I was not going to let that fly. God knows it wasn't me or Coco who noticed that. All right, that's our show for today. We will be back tomorrow. It's just business. This is nothing personal.